0: Alright, what's going on? Welcome into Sports Betting Daily. Thanks for joining us on a Thursday. Today is March 2nd, 2023. What is happening out there? How's your week so far? On uh, on today's show, we're kind of back at it, back at the normal schedule. I know yesterday was a little off, but hey, at least we went 2-0. It's like, if we're going to mix things up, give some picks out midweek, let's at least hit them. So, Hopefully, everyone jumped on those couple picks yesterday, but uh, on today's show, it's Concept Thursday, so every Thursday, do do something different like conceptually in uh, sports betting. Today, we'll talk about a few different things. We'll talk about the NHL trade deadline or any trade deadline in sports. Uh, also, why 80% or 70% or 60% even in sports betting is a bad winning percentage. I mentioned this off-cuff earlier this week. Maybe last week, I forget exactly when I said it, but uh, I thought it'd be good to go to depth about why that is the case. I've talked about this before, but for those new to the show, we'll do a quick uh, synopsis on why higher, really, really high winning percentages are not a good thing. And then we'll talk about referees, umpires. A little bit of everything today. So we'll get into all that uh, in just a moment. Special thanks to Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is the place you want to go for anything and everything player props. You can parlay player props together for great payouts. You can play daily fantasy contests where you make your whole lineup with uh, player props. It's so much fun. So check them out online. Thrive Fantasy. Put in promo code SBD when you sign up for a deposit match up to $100. right, so let's get into it. Let's just start off with the NBA or the uh, NHL trade deadline. And really, I said NBA, but this is applicable for pretty much any sport out there. Um, It's more applicable for sports where there's a lot of trades. But in the NHL, I mean, the trade deadline every year in the NHL is nuts. Like, there's so many trades, so many teams making small moves here or there, buyers, sellers. And the more trades you get, the more of an impact you're going to get. So the point of talking about this is there's a – there's like, the season is filled – with different chapters. Okay, the very, very beginning of every season in every sport, it's an opportunity to take advantage of some mispricings from the offseason, right? Whether it's a new coach, new manager, uh players switching teams. You know, where Derek where Derek Carr goes in the NFL, where Aaron Rodgers goes in the NFL there's going to be a lot of talk about it, a lot of speculation, but the pricing may be off early in the year, especially compared to later in the year when prices are a little bit more stable. So early in the season, that, that chapter is like picking off lines that have been mispriced from the off season. And then you've got sort of like the middle of the season, the, the, the middle third of the season or so where, you know, it's a little bit of last year's stats, a little bit of blending last couple of years stats incorporating this year. Right. And then, at the, like the three-fourths point, you're starting to really incorporate this season's stats. It's all about this season. What does this team look like? You can really rely on this season's stats. And the trade deadline falls somewhere in there, right? So this chapter, the trade deadline, it's all about how do these teams respond to the additions or subtractions of certain players, and it's not just the talent. It's not just how many. Go- and we'll we'll keep this mainly on hockey, but how many goals, points, assists do they have? What line do they play on? How much ice time do they get? It's also about what are they like in the locker room? What kind of a uh, what kind of a presence were they in the locker room? You know, I've said this for a long time. When the Avalanche traded Tyson Jost to the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, he didn't show up that much in the stat sheet, but he was one of the biggest glue guys in that locker room, and you could see it play out. Now the Aves ended up winning the Stanley Cup, but they struggled for a little bit, at least a few weeks after that. If you were to fade the Avs after they traded Tyson Jones for that very reason, you could have found an, a edge and an actionable um, edge in the market that no one else had because it wasn't being priced correctly. So that's what I mean during this point of the season. You're going to get all kinds of really interesting scenarios for handicapping that we only get in this like little one to two week window. So it's, I have talked about this before. I love situations like this because I like when things are difficult to price. I like when there's questions about how much is this worth in the market? How much should this impact any team or game or anything like that? So just wanted to say that it's a really interesting time in the NHL because of the trade deadline and anytime you get this in any sport where there's a lot of moving pieces, it's really beneficial if you can handicap how are teams going to respond to the additions or subtractions of a certain players. All right, let's move on to winning percentages. Um, I mentioned this, I think earlier this week, maybe last week, why going 80% is a bad thing. I mentioned it when I was talking about, I think the action network, uh article which by the way i heard all about that i heard from people who were pissed it's like how can you say this and that it's like my goal of this show is not to like that's not what this show is we don't find things on social media and just and just shit on people but when i see something out there that's so bad i'm gonna bring it up and i did feel bad about that for a while when i just ripped on that guy tanner whatever his name was And I felt bad for a while because I talked to some people and it's like the one thing I have to remember is that when I'm when I'm ripping on people like that, you know, again, like I said, I don't do it to be an asshole, but. If you're going to put bad info out there, like laughably bad info, really cringe info, I think it's on me to call you out, or at least to, to bring it up. And, you know, I did, I did talk to someone. I don't have kids, but I, uh, someone brought up the idea of, like, you know, everyone's someone's kid. Everyone's someone's son. Everyone's someone's daughter. And I thought about, like, what my dad would... Think if he heard a podcast host talking about me in that way, right? It's like you know, my dad has he he passed away a few years ago, but he wouldn't have liked that, right? And it would have been it would have been a shitty thing to go through. But then I go back to would I ever have something that bad out there, you know, for the public to see? And the answer would probably be, no. I wouldn't be that stupid. So I did feel a little bit bad, but at the end of the day, it's if you're going to line it up, I'm going to knock it down. And uh, let's see, the, the podcast I'm referring to, by the way, is uh, last week's, it's February 23rd, 22nd, 222, uh, good and bad articles and then random thoughts. So that's the, art, that's the show I keep talking about. But anyway, it was that day that I brought up the idea of, you know, people not knowing what the hell they're talking about on social media, online, even on TV And with that, you just see a lot of bad info. People don't know when they're putting bad info out there. It's like, unless you're an expert, it's really tough to sift through all the BS and see the real good info and the people who really know what they're talking about. Well, in that, I mentioned that there's a lot of people on Twitter that just assume the higher the winning percentage, the better. Okay, And that's actually not not true in sports betting. And it's for one specific reason. So, I think what happens is we just have a lot of people in the sports betting world, especially gambling Twitter. oh, how how polluted is gambling Twitter, And they just don't get it. They don't understand the nuances of what it takes to be a real winning sports better. So a lot of people on there think higher percentage equals better results. And here's why that's not the case. And and by the way, for this entire example, we're going to talk about specifically minus 110 sports and minus 110 bets, because as we all know from listening to this podcast, every bet we make has a break even percentage, right? So the assumption that people make when they say, or that the handicappers say, or or the public's supposed to make when anyone says, you know, we are 58% over the course of the last two months. What that's supposed to imply is against minus 110, right? Anyone can go 58% if every bet you're picking is minus 200. So for the sake of today's show and these examples, we're going to highlight and focus on minus 110 bets because that's in general what people mean when they give a winning percentage. So when you give a winning percentage of, let's say, 75%, the reason why that's a bad thing is is on the board any given day, right? Any slate of games, whether it's the NHL or NBA or whatever, there's only a finite amount of bettable games because we shouldn't bet games if they're priced correctly or they're too expensive, right? We should only take games where they're incorrectly priced one way or the other. That's why we bet the numbers, not the teams. So based on that, there's only a finite amount of games every, every given slate, every day, every night to bet on that are profitable. Well, there's going to be, by definition, far more 55% bets than there would be 60% bets, okay? Now, follow me here. A 55% bet is a bet we deem to have a 55% winning percentage, like whatever is going to happen, right? Joey Chestnut to win to eat 70 hot dogs, or LeBron James to score 24 points, or the Dallas Cowboys to be minus three, whatever it is. We think that's going to cover 55% of the time. Well, they're only charging minus 110 So we have a slight edge, right? Because minus 110's break-even percentage is 52.38%. So we've got a bit of an edge. It's a positive EV bet, positive expected value situation for us. So there's a lot more 55% bets with just a small edge that we can find compared to 60% bets. If you have a 60% bet, think about what you're saying. You're saying you think something's going to happen 60% of the time that the market's charging minus 110 for. The market's not that inefficient. The market's not that bad. Okay, the market's not that wrong. So you're going to find very, very few 60% bets relative to 55% bets. Well, this gets more and more drastic the higher winning percentage you get to. So let's say at the end of any given year, some handicapper out there boasts a 90% win percentage, okay? What that says to me is they had such little volume, they left so much money on the table because they only bet 90% games. They left all those 80% and 70% and 60% winners on the table, even though those are all profitable bets. So even though your winning percentage technically goes down, your volume is going to skyrocket, which is going to give you more money. See, it's a better proposition for us, the sports better, to have very, very, very high volume and to maximize whatever margin we have, to wring that washcloth because we don't get much margin in sports betting. So it's up to the, to the keen eye and to the really trained, good professional sports better to identify all those 54%, 55 56% bets and get that win or and get that uh, volume up. But if you're going to sit on wins, you're going to sit on a good percentage, not pick that many games, and you're going to end any season 75%, I mean, hell, gambling Twitter may applaud you for that. You may get retweeted and make it praised because no one in gambling Twitter knows what the hell they're talking about. Okay, so if you say we're 75% or 70 or even 60% over the course of any long stretch, I see that and I go, they're not maximizing their value they're not maximizing their return. If I had some sort of a sports broker, right? And I paid them to make bets for me and they showed me at the end of the year, hey, we made money. We had an 8% ROI and we went 65%. Me, knowing what I do about sports betting, I would be upset. I would say, wait, you're a sports broker. You're supposed to maximize my return. Why are we looking at a 65% instead of 55% with with 10,000 more games being bet? And the reason is, I think at the end of all this, unless you're a true pro, and can find the 55 percenters, you're going to get those anomalies. In any given data set, there's going to be a lot of people who do very well randomly, and a lot of people who do very poorly randomly. Well, let me tell you what, those people who are randomly doing very well are going to be very loud on social media, probably the loudest out there. So that's why a higher winning percentage is bad. In general, that's a little quick synopsis. Look, more wins, it's always a good thing. But if you're not maximizing your ROI, I don't think you're doing the best you can. All right, before we get out of here today, let's talk about umpires, referees, and the impact they have on games. I'm doing this because I'm uh, uh, doing a study on umpires. I'm getting ready for umpires. In my opinion, if you're going to profitably bet the MLB or college baseball, on that note, you have to have a really, really good idea of what that given umpire for what specific game you're betting does, okay? Okay. Every umpire in the MLB is going to have a slightly different strike zone. They're going to be slightly more consistent. They're going to lay, lean slightly more towards the home team or the hitter or the pitcher. If you have a star pitcher against an average hitter, there's a lot of umpires out there who'll give that hit or they give that pitcher an extra inch on the corner. You get some umpires that that are starstruck by, by the hitters, and they give the hitter a little bit. Or you get the umpires who aren't starstruck by anyone who want to make it all about them and prove that, and they tighten things up for the pitchers. If they get a hitter who mouths off, they may open it up. So you have to have a very, very good understanding on every single umpire that you're going to see this season. That's what I believe. So part of my preseason routine is getting ready for the umpires and the referees for any given sport. So I thought it'd be interesting to go through with all of you uh, two different lists I've come up with. This uh, one list is the sports with uh, umpires, referees that have the biggest impact on the game, right? What sports are most influenced the outcome influenced by uh, referees, umpires, things like that. And then the other list I have is the general accuracy, which sports have the best umpires and referees. So let's start off with the biggest impact on the game. Right, and I'm going to do uh, the four major American sports in soccer. Okay. So football, baseball, basketball, hockey, and soccer. Okay. In order one to five, which sports do you think have the, or which referees or umpires do you think have the biggest impact on the sports? All right. Well, let's start off with number one. The biggest, the single biggest impact anyone has are MLB umpires. Okay. And we're just sticking with the pro sports here. But uh, umpires in the MLB have up to a, and this is general, this is generally speaking, general circumstances. We're not going to go too in the weeds with the actual ratings, but just to give a reference point, they can impact up to 6%, 6% of the final score of any given game consistently. So you look at umpires, they're they're impacting about 6% on average, generally on any given game. Number two is basketball. Basketball referees are influencing up to 4.5% compared to 6% for baseball. Number three is football, where they're influencing up to 3% of the final outcome. Number four is soccer, where it's very close to 3%, pretty much a tie with football. And then number five, last, hockey, up to 1.7%. Now you may say, wait a minute, why don't hockey referees have more of an impact? Because if they make a call, if they make a bad call, uh, that puts the other team on the power play, power play goals are scored, you know, what about... uh, 20% of the time on average. So you're giving a team a goal one-fifth of time every bad call you make. Here's the thing. Is the next list we're going to talk about accuracy? I'm going to bury the lead here, but hockey is the most accurate sport. Now, I think what happens is when certain bad calls are made like in the playoffs and everyone's talking about it, it gets magnified. But generally, through the course of the regular season and the playoffs, hockey referees are so much more consistent than any other sport. It's almost funny. Okay, so... Hockey, they're very, very accurate. So with that, they don't make a lot of calls that shouldn't be made. The hooking calls, the slashing calls, the tripping, they're generally going to get those right. So they're not going to screw teams over making bad calls that end up being power plays. Now they do sometimes, but not nearly as often as you think it would happen. So number one, baseball, number two, basketball, number three, football, number four, soccer, number five, hockey. Those are uh, the impact that referees and umpires have on the outcome of any given game. Uh, The accuracy list. You know what's funny about this list? It's the exact inverse of the sports with the biggest impact on the game. Now, maybe that's coincidence. Maybe that's not. Uh, Maybe you say that makes a lot of sense, right? Because obviously, if you're missing more calls, you're going to have more of an impact. That may be the case. But, you know, baseball will have you believe that the accuracy of umpires is better than it's ever been before. And that may be the case in baseball, But when you compare it to other sports, it's still the most inaccurate. So the accuracy ratings are number one, hockey, number two, soccer, number three, football, number four, basketball, and number five, baseball. Now, I will also say this, the basketball one I found when you're talking about referees, it's so much more subjective in basketball than any other sport because you get travels and carries and every foul pretty much is is super subjective. Now I know you kind of get the same thing in football, which is why it's ranked right next to basketball for both those lists. You know the holding calls, the hands to the face, roughing the passer, as we know, right? So consistency of the actual execution of what these referees do makes lists like this and just by the nature of it difficult to to produce. But I thought that'd be interesting to talk about that today. Uh, I know a lot of you out there aren't going to do like a deep dive on referees, umpires, things like that. So it's worth noting, you know, if you are going to talk about these sports or handicap these sports, I think especially for baseball and the NBA, but I don't do a whole lot of NBA. You've got to have an understanding of how these referees and umpires impact the game before you're going to bet these games and these sports. So, all right, that does it for today's show. Appreciate everyone listening. Good luck, whatever you have going on today or tonight. Hope to catch some winners. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on Sports Betting Daily.